Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 42. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, there was no longer, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that, Eli that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and many things, and be treated, and how it is written to the, of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out of and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. 
But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Abigail and Annie. Um, I'm sure uh, some of you maybe haven't stood that long in a long time. The, uh, the guy that Jared talked about who probably lives in the basement and plays video games, like I've never stood that long in a week span. I sit and play. Um, anyway, uh, we got a huge chunk of scripture to cover together this morning. As you can see, we're going to be in like seven verses next week. So we got 40 today, seven next week. But um, I'll explain some of that. Before I do, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. If you're new, um, nice, to, nice to have you here this morning. It's great all to be here together. Um, uh, just by way of introduction, I have a stutter, so I always want to say that so you know what that is. It kind of comes in and out as I go. And it's just so you're not like, what's he doing up there trying to hit me? You know, hip hop, Buster Ryan. It's not that. It uh, comes and goes. Hope it doesn't distract you. But um, uh, I just want to also say, if, again, if you're new, this summer is a bit different. This week in particular, I think everybody's on vacation or went out of town or did something. Um, we're trying to get people up here close, and I've threatened before to like jump over, you know, the hurdle seats to get right up, right up in there with you. But we won't do that. But um, uh, also, you know, we do. I, I say this every few weeks. But we have a children's ministry. It's great. Um, it's the kids hear pretty much the same sermon, the same subject um, as we're talking about in here. So you can really talk about it together. But we also say all the time that all of life is all for Jesus, and so we believe that begins in the home. And so we encourage parents to discern what will best disciple or lead your family. And so if that means having your kids in here with you and, 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 and worshiping together or back there. Um, either way is great, and we're not worried about, you know, if kids start making noise or anything. So I just want to, uh, you know, kind of set you at ease if you're like, I want my kids in here, but they're going to make all kinds of noise. You know, not to get awkward, but if you're a nursing mom or whatever, um, you can be in here. We're not, we're not taking, we say we take Jesus seriously, but not ourselves. And so that really is our posture in every way. Okay, so now we're going to dive into this. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and hold your hand up. Because as you saw, there's a ton of scriptures. So hold your hand up and keep it up. Somebody will get you a Bible. Also, um, si necesitas en español, tenemos. So say that if you prefer the Bible in español and Spanish, 
Hold your hand up. Someone will get you that. Last week, Stephen couldn't say that in Spanish, so he can't preach again until he learns that phrase. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, he did a great job, and I'm excited to be here and to be preaching through this. And as we get into this huge chunk of Scripture, um, let me just kind of catch us up on where we've been, okay? We've been um, seeing, we've been posed with from the very beginning of Mark, says, who is Jesus and what is he doing? That's kind of what we're posed with that question. Who's Jesus and what is he doing? And we're, we've been challenged, well, um, who, who am I? Like, in, in order to, to respond to that question, we're kind of faced with, well, who are we? And, and, then, and then we saw in the last couple of weeks that Jesus, as the great physician, um, he diagnoses spiritual blindness. So in order to understand who we are, we, we see, oh, we're, we're naturally blind. And then last week we saw that Jesus heals spiritual blindness. And, 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 and what we've seen throughout that is that Jesus takes us from blindness to blurriness to clarity. And so this huge section, you might be wondering, why are we going, what is this? Well, there is a common theme throughout all this, and it's faith. And so some of us may have heard, oh, just have faith. Just, just muster up some faith. And you're like, all right, thanks a lot for that. You know, what does that mean? How do I do that? And so that, uh, that, that follows the good news that Jesus takes us from blindness to blurriness to clarity. And that's what faith is. And so what we'll see today is that faith is simply seeing Jesus, the divine Savior. And then we're going to walk through five different kind of episodes where the main point is Jesus explaining what faith is and what it looks like to follow him in faith. Okay, and so our, our tendency, like the people, specifically his disciples here, is to, is to think that Jesus gives us a system... That you're just like, okay, cool, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and, and faith is kind of something I now take on, and I'm responsible for, and then I now just have a system of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and I just kind of go along, and kind of walk along, and I muster up faith when I'm lacking faith, and, and that's actually broken. In fact, that comes from what the Bible calls the fall, that, that in the beginning, God created us as his image bearers, the, the, the imago Dei, the image of God to follow Him, to reflect Him in every way, to relate with Him, and to have our gaze firmly set on Him always. But Adam and Eve, the first humans, and all of us in here, by nature and by choice, have turned away from God. The fall. We've fallen. We've, we said, thanks but no thanks, God. We want to figure it out on our own. Give us a system. Give us, let us be in control, ultimately. And then what we're learning here is that the good news is know that, that God, the Son, comes, fully God and fully man, Jesus, restoring all things, promising to make new what has been broken. So, walking with Him in faith, though we are prone to think it's something that we just get a system and we just kind of muster up on our own. No, it, it always comes back to His restoring our gaze on Him, not on ourselves. Okay, so now as we, as we get into this, I'm going to pray for us. In fact, as us to corporately together come with a posture of humility, recognizing that we don't have it all figured out. We are maybe where we think we should have clarity. It's blurred. And God, we need you to, to, to open our eyes and to soften our hearts and to reveal yourself to us. 
Okay, so let's, let's pray together and ask Him to lead us through this time. Again, Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone who's here. Um, Lord, thank you that uh, uh, we get to gather together. Lord, that we can say things and embrace things like the reality that um, sometimes we feel like things should be clear, but they're not. They're blurry. And um, Lord, we do take you very seriously. So we stand when we read your word. We, we, we engage and we pray and ask you to enable us to rightly approach you and rightly understand your truth. And yet we don't take ourselves seriously, Lord. Let this be a safe place for us to recognize we don't have it all figured out. And Lord, the good news is we look to you who does. And so we, we pray, Holy Spirit, that um, you will indeed open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to rightly see you. Or let the words of my mouth right now and the meditation of every heart in here be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Redeemer, making new what has been broken. We thank you and we pray these things expectantly and humbly. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, let's get into it, okay? Roll your sleeves up, drink a Red Bull, get ready. Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Those are kind of his like special three, as we've seen. He takes them, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That word transfigured means like transformed before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Some of you might be like, that's a challenge. I can get some things pretty white. My kids play baseball. Their pants got dirty. I can make some things white. But this is, um, he is something completely new. It's, it's, it's a radiance. And, and so what, um, what happens actually, what, what's happening is his disciples, his followers are getting a glimpse into reality. It's like um, N.T. Wright is an author and a pastor and a he says that um, science teachers love to watch their kids as they look through a microscope for the first time. Or they look through a telescope for the first time. They look through a microscope and a little speck of dust all of a sudden comes alive. Right? What is just kind of monotonous and normal and boring, all of a sudden you get a glimpse into reality, to what it is. Or someone who looks through a telescope, perhaps you were raised in like an inner city like me maybe and didn't get out much, didn't get out to the mountains much. The first time you, you even see with the naked eye the, the Milky Way spread across the sky or you look through a telescope and your, your eyes are open to a whole new world. Um, isn't that a Disney song? <laughs> Just, um, your eyes are open to reality. And that's what's happening here, the, the, the transfiguration, they're seeing the transformation, the reality of Jesus. That's who Jesus really is. Radiant, good, glorious, and, and they're confused. And, and then he's with Elijah and Moses. Again, there's so much here to dig into, but I'll just say that those two figures who are there, um, they together, Moses and Elijah, represent the whole Old Testament, the law, Moses through whom God gave his instruction of what it meant to be his people, mostly to reveal that we're unable to rightly walk with God by our own effort. And so he reveals the law. Moses and the Jewish people who would be looking to God to make things new would be living by the law. And so there's Moses and there's Elijah, the prophets, the, the, the people um, who were assigned by God to lead his people all throughout what it meant to live life 
as God's people, as His image bearers. And so together you see the law and the prophet, Elijah and Moses, humbly before Jesus. Okay, they're on His right and His left. Jesus is there. He's, he's kind of holding court with them. He's leading them. And so the author wants to make it clear, Jesus is the superior one. Our, our religion, our way of life, our systems that we think are going to get us right with God. No, they're pointing to Jesus, the radiant one. And then you see that Peter, and let me just say too that Peter is likely the source of this. Okay, Mark was like Peter's secretary. So the fact that Peter like throws himself under the bus so much is all the more good evidence that this stuff's real. He's not like trying to change the story. And he exposes himself. And Peter's like, um, uh, he says in verse 5, Rabbi, that means teacher or good teacher. Um, it's good that we're here. Let, let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And we like to look at that and be like, silly Peter, <laughs> what a fool. He's, he's ridiculous. And, and, and that's not what's happening here. Although that seems like he's like, ah, I don't know what to say. It's a good thing we're here. And like, yeah, you think? But that's not really what's happening. He's recognizing that it's good. He's recognizing that they're getting insight into something bigger and greater than they would normally have. And he says, let's make some tents. That's not so foolish to um, a first century Jewish person because that word there for tents is, is tabernacle. And all throughout, the, all throughout the Old Testament, God's people would build these Tabernacles, and then at one point, a temple. Actually, at two points, they built a temple. And what those were, that was the place where God dwelled with his people. And so, still not fully understanding that Jesus is the good and perfect tabernacle. He is how God will dwell with his people. He's like, yeah, I guess uh, I didn't know about Elijah and Moses. I didn't know they would dwell here too. But hey, let's build some tabernacles. So, this is a good thing. Let's keep it going. Right? He's on to something, but he, he's missing it a little bit. Because then eventually, Elijah and Moses are gone, and only Jesus remains. Listen to me. Only Jesus remains. There's no other way. The law and the prophets, the systems of man, the ways to relate with God, only through Jesus. We're told that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So these, these, these guys are on a trajectory, which we'll see, a, a trajectory to the cross, a trajectory toward suffering. They've gotten a glimpse and insight into the glorious good news, the reality of God with us. Emmanuel, that's what that means, of Jesus, fully God and fully man here, radiant, above the law and the prophets, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. And then they're gone, and only Jesus remains. And that would be good news. Though they're confused, they look to Jesus. And then they're, they're, they're making their way down the mountain. As you see there in verse 9, they're, they're coming down. And Jesus says, don't, don't tell anyone what you've seen. Because what it's like, he's like saying, like, they, they can't understand yet. Okay, You don't even fully understand, disciples. But they don't understand yet. Because, and they can't. Because the cross and the resurrection have not yet happened. So for you and me, this is good news. Because... That has happened. Jesus has laid down his life on the cross. And he has conquered death.
by raising from the dead. So when we are confused, we need to look to Jesus. We look to the cross. We look to the empty tomb. These people haven't seen that yet. So he's saying, don't get everyone all confused yet. Don't, don't, don't tell them what you've seen. They won't understand. Don't want to go make tents as well. Don't want to try to conjure up a way to uh, create a, a, a system. So don't, don't tell them. And as they're walking down, his disciples are confused. And they're talking together. They're, they're conspiring, actually. They don't look to Jesus. They don't go to Jesus for more clarity. They're trying to figure it out. And then they come back, hey, hey, hey uh, we got something, Jesus. Isn't Elijah supposed to come first? Guess what? Elijah just came. All this cross business you're talking about, because just last week we heard that Jesus, um, for the first time, he explains, he, he gives a prophecy. He says, the way of the kingdom, the way to life will come through death. I'm going to go to the cross, a filthy, despicable, shameful place. And God's people are like, no, 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 the kingdom's supposed to be coming. The good news is here. Why are you talking about ugly things like crosses? Why are you talking about life coming through death? And even his disciples, after seeing this, are like, Jesus, we got you, loophole. Right? I found it. I found the secret trick. Uh, We don't need all this cross business. Elijah already came, so now you can just stay. And Jesus corrects them and explains, yeah, you're right, Elijah does come first. John the Baptist came preparing the way of the Lord already. And you saw what happened to him. He lost his head. I still need to go to the cross. The Son of Man. It's a a, a declarative royal term for Jesus used throughout the Old Testament, specifically in Daniel. The Son of Man must suffer. And so they're still confused And they walk down and then pick up here. We see that faith is seeing Jesus, the divine Savior, having reality opened to us. And they continue. They go down a mountain and they're coming. They come to the other disciples, the other nine disciples who are down there. And um, again, I won't read all through it and what's happening, but there's an argument, right? And Jesus comes up and everyone kind of stops. Oh, Jesus is here. And they come up to him and they're like, Jesus, he's like, why are you arguing? And they're like, well, and then this guy just comes to the front. He's a father. His, his, his child has been um, just wrecked for life. He's had all kinds of stuff. He's been foaming at the mouth and it's maybe an epilepsy kind of a, a, a thing just for, since childhood. So for years, this child has been just, just hurting. And they say demon-possessed. And he comes, and he's like, hey, your disciples, I thought they could heal, but they can't. And then Jesus has this interaction with this man, and he's a concerned father. He, it, it, when we're at our point of greatest desperation, listen, is it not right? that We kind of we lose our, our, our social graces, right? And that's a good thing. Right? We create these little walls and these images of what it looks like to be a good, neat, and tidy person. But when reality hits, we come as we ought, desperate, in need. And so this father comes in need. He says, my, my child is, 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 is in need. He's, he's hurt. And, and just looking ahead there, Jesus' disciples rightly are confused. They're like, why couldn't we... Why couldn't we cast out this demon? Because earlier in chapter 6, we saw that Jesus sent out his disciples casting out demons and healing in Jesus' name. They're like, why couldn't we do it? We, we tried. They, they thought they had a system. They thought that Jesus was like, you know, Mary Poppins, right? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or 
what is it, Alakazoo, Alakazam, or I have three daughters now, so I've seen Mary Poppins a lot, but right, if you're not familiar with that, like, you say the right words, and you do a little dance, and things happen, and sometimes as Christians, we think that, yeah, 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 Jesus, the cross, grace, all this stuff, I, that starts my faith, that starts this thing, and now if we just get loud enough, if we just use the right words, if we just dance around enough, if we say all the right things, if we make sure everything's all neat and tidy in our lives, then God will do what he's supposed to do. No, they, 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 they're called to prayer. You never get away from prayer. You never get away from humbly recognizing the need for God's intervention. And so these, these, these people, his own followers, have missed that, and they've created a system. And then Jesus interacts with this father, and what does he say? He says, um, if you can, and I love that, I don't know fully, but I like to think that Jesus is like, full check yourself, if I can. Like, do you know, so that's not the Greek, that's not the exact translation, but Jesus does say, if I can, and he reveals, look, Um, God's ability and God's willingness is not the issue here. And then the Father says something incredibly profound, which we're just going to touch on and we'll come back to in the end. But the Father says, "I, I believe and help my unbelief. That's enormous. He's saying something that even Jesus' own disciples haven't been saying. He's, he's so desperate. He says, Jesus, help me. And then Jesus does. Jesus sees that the crowds are coming. The crowds, remember, are usually not good things. They, they normally like get like kind of a mob mentality. So Jesus sees the crowds. They're there. And Jesus heals this boy. And the boy's convulsing and foaming. And he's, he's demon-possessed. Let me just kind of take an aside real quick. This is the last like exorcism that we'll see. Okay, We've seen a bunch throughout Mark. Jesus is exercising demons. Jesus is showing his authority over the demonic. And I'll just quickly say and remind us that, that, that demon, demonic opposition, okay, Satan, the chief of the angels, the enemy of God, um, hates us, he hates God, he hates the good news of Jesus, and uses all kinds of different things. In our day, most likely pride and arrogance and consumerism and all kinds of other things, but He wants us to direct our gaze elsewhere, to create systems, to look away from Jesus. And and, and so here Jesus rightly reveals his authority over this demonic oppression. I just feel a need to say too, if you've put your faith in Jesus, um, I'm convinced theologically from the Bible, you cannot be demon-possessed. You can't be overtaken. If, you've, if you're a follower of Jesus, your heart has been restored or born again. You, God the Holy Spirit now dwells in your heart. He sets up shop. The Holy Spirit, the King of the Spirit, He doesn't share that with anyone. So you can't be possessed. You can't be taken over by some demon like this. So you don't, I think a lot of us maybe worry or wonder about that. But we experience every day, perhaps some of us this morning, um, spiritual oppression. Just just nagging, questioning, doubting, whatever it might be. And so um, we've talked at length about that in the past, and I'll just go on. But, but so all this to say, in the end, what happens? Jesus has authority, right? Sometimes we want to focus on demons and Satan and all this stuff, and even in essence, we start worshiping that. No, step back. Who's in control? Jesus. And so Jesus shows that, and he, he rebukes this demon, and it's gone, and then the boy is laying there. It says, like dead, right? The people say in verse 26, look, the boy is dead. 
Sometimes, before the good news is really understood and revealed, it looks like bad news. This guy has been convulsing, this little kid, or however old he is, has been all, there's been damage and brokenness, and then he's there, and everyone thinks, oh no, he's dead, but he's not. In fact, um, Jesus enters in and, 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 and heals him. But before we go on there, I want to share a quote with you. Okay, let us kind of pause for a second because, as I said, there's different messages, different things that are meant to take us away from Jesus. And sometimes we don't want to call sin, sin, right? I think there are shows like Sin City or, and, you know, Las Vegas has talked about it, Sin City. And sometimes we like to hear these cute little phrases like, oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and you know, all this stuff, and we think of evil, and we think of things that are not God as fulfilling and tempting, and oh, maybe, maybe that will meet my need, maybe these kind of stiff upper lip lame Christians don't get it, I just, you know, well, let's, let's, this is a picture of reality, I'm going to read you this, this quote from a guy, an author and a pastor, Paul Tripp, he says this, In stories like these, God is lovingly confronting us with two things. First, the shocking evil of evil and the only place where deliverance from it can be found. So he's revealing evil and he's revealing the only place where deliverance from that can be found. And then he says, examine the graphic descriptions of what evil is doing to this boy. Nothing good ever happens when evil is in control of a person's heart. Sin really is a scary, horrible thing. Evil is ugly and destructive and must never be minimized. You just can't read the story and wonder if evil is so evil after all. The story is meant to put a holy dread in your heart, but it is meant to do more. It is meant to assure you that delivering grace is a reality. No matter how how bad the sinfulness of sin is, God's grace is greater. No matter how powerful the evil of evil is, God's delivering power is greater. We should fear sin in a moral sense, but not in a defeatist sense. Because the powerful delivering grace of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 26, they say, look, is the boy dead? And then right after in verse 27, it says, no, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. That's resurrection language right there. This is a foreshadowing. This is a real story. It's a real picture of the good news that defines every one of our lives if we put our faith in Jesus. Death is ugly. The cross is shameful. And Jesus took it upon himself so that he could put death to death. And he victoriously rose from the dead, conquering death, in his resurrection, and this language is meant to the people that would originally read this and would be in Rome, persecuted, life is ugly, they're seeing all kinds of sin around them, they're experiencing the effects of sin everywhere, and they're wondering, is there good news? And the author is wanting to point them, and you and me, because this is written after the resurrection, and he's using language here to remind them, no, no, you're right, death is everywhere, it's evil, it's broken. But the good news is that God the Father raised God the Son, took Him, and raised Him from death. So resurrection language is used here to remind us, but which we'll come back to this theme, but the fact is that faith, listen to me, hear me, is not yet complete. 
Okay, this needs to be freeing and encouraging. The person and work of Jesus is complete on us, making us new. We can go before God the Father fully forgiven, fully, fully free from sin as He sees us perfect, forgiven, restored. And yet for us, as we walk through this, this life, the reality, the clarity of sin, it's not done. It's not a one a one-hit wonder, and now you just gotta muster it up. And so continuing on, they go, and then and then Jesus now foretells his death once again to his followers, and they don't get it. Pick up with me in verse 31, okay? They um, says, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Once again, Jesus is, 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 is proclaiming. Okay, the cross didn't happen by accident. Jesus wasn't like, oh, shoot, I didn't see this coming. No, his plan from the very beginning is to bring his kingdom by laying down his life. So if you remember back earlier in the transfiguration, in that story when God the Father is a great cloud um, revealed this and, and he said, this is my son, listen to him. If you remember in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus was baptized, once again, God the Father spoke to Jesus. He said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And we see the Trinity there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And once again here, we see God the Father speaking. We see God the Holy Spirit present like a cloud, which throughout the whole Old Testament is, was a symbol and a, a, a reminder of God's presence. And then we see him speaking this time, though, to the disciples. He says, listen up. Listen to Jesus. You're, you're deaf. You're starting to hear a little better, but not fully. You're blind. It's blurry, but it's getting clear. And the way it's going to happen is by looking to Jesus. And hear me. The main point of this, of God the Father saying, listen to Jesus, is what you and I are looking at right now. It's that faith is believing, is clinging to Jesus in and through suffering. Okay, some of us think that suffering is just a byproduct of life. It's just the way it is. But the good news is that Jesus defines suffering. Through suffering, hope comes. Through his death on the cross, life comes. For you and me, through suffering that we experience, that we walk through, Faith is sharpened. Faith is renewed. God is in control. Suffering isn't just something that, that, that we just react to and that God's just up there biting his nails hoping things don't happen. That even in the midst of great pain and great hardship, goodness comes. Faith is solidified. And so these people don't get it, understandably, right? Because this is like a prize fighter, right? This is if like Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather, if you remember this big fight, or I know there was some other big fight just last night, but that's the last one that I remember. But anyway, it's like someone saying like, I'm about to get crowned as champion, and here's my plan. I'm going to go, and I'm going to just take it on the chin and get KO'd. And you're like, wait, what? That's not... That's not the way usually you win. That's usually not how you get the, the championship belt is by getting knocked out. So this is counterintuitive, or I usually use that kind of analogy, but maybe it's like, you know, some composer who's like, hey, the best, okay, we're about to write, we're about to play the greatest musical piece ever, 
And here's how. Get your instruments really out of tune. We're just going to bomb this thing, and that's going to be the best. Okay, I don't know if that works, but I'm trying. Okay, I'm trying, people. You're, some of you might be like, you always talk about fighting and sports and things like that. Well, I can go there too. Instruments. But seriously, the, the way of the king bringing his perfect kingdom is counterintuitive. It's through death. But listen, the good news is that faith, looking to Jesus, means clinging to him during times of suffering. And even through suffering, hope comes. And the disciples continue not to get it, right? Jesus is talking about this. He's talking about laying down his life. And what do they do right in the very next verses in verse 33 through 37? Pick up with me there. They're kind of walking along and they're talking. And Jesus says to them in verse 33, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. I love that. Jesus is like, guys, what are you talking about? They're like, huh? What? Who's talking? I don't know. Uh, like, they get that they're talking about something. They're arguing amongst themselves who will be greatest in this kingdom. Right? I mean, this is, they're, they're missing it. And let me say this. Mark doesn't write this so you and I can look down our noses at these silly disciples. If we're honest with ourselves, don't you and I want to be the greatest? Isn't our life structured, our culture, sometimes even our churches, the way we interact with one another, all about one-upping each other, all about being the greatest, about places of, of authority and of, you know, like, I'm never going to have a, 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 a my own special parking spot. It's like the pastor's parking spot, spot okay? Because first of all, we meet in a public school and they would be like, did you just put, like, pastor on one of our parking spaces? And so that wouldn't go very well. But also, um... That's, that's anti-Christ. Okay? Hear me. Jesus is calling his disciples and revealing how they still don't get it. Because for you and me, so much of our life is structured by looking out for number one. Right? By, by making something of ourselves. By climbing the ladder. That is, hear me, anti-Christ. Right? We need to hear that. We need to, we need to have a culture of our church set up on the reality that that is completely against the person and work of Jesus. And we need to, to, to rightly recognize how, how, how flipped that is to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't rejoice in that. He doesn't love squabbling for places of great position. No, the way of the king is through suffering. And we need to recognize that faith is not about us. All right? If we're in some churches, I'd say, look to your neighbor and say, faith isn't about you. If you know your neighbor, you can say that. But if you don't, maybe hold off on that. But really, it's not about us. It's not about you. And we've got to embrace that reality. Okay? Wisdom, knowledge, all these things that can puff us up. Our walk with Jesus. Our life is a church. It's not about us. We say we exist. Why? For Jesus' glory and the good of Tucson. Not to make a name for ourselves. I'll just be real with you all. I just talked with a potential church planter who's coming to downtown Tucson, perhaps, and heard about us and heard some good things that God was doing and called me up. And, and I was like, yeah, I have some, 
some questions I'd love to ask you about this, and I'd love to get to know you. I'm not just going to be like, yeah, come on, I approve, or whatever. Not that I have the authority to do that, but usually there can be this undertone of kind of division. And, 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 and even as we talked about it, I'm like, yeah, I'll admit that in my flesh there could be a temptation to be like, ah, this, is my, this is my turf. And, and as we talked with this guy I've never even met, we know some of the same people, he was like, man, I, I appreciate your posture. I, I appreciate that you're, that you're extending the right hand of fellowship, that you're saying, yeah, come on down. We need works of, of God here. We need the good news of Jesus here to, to reach this community, to bless this neighborhood. And, and, and we need that. Let's do it. Let's link up and join up. And as we talked, we just both agreed. We're like, is there really any other way to do it? Sadly, there is when we trick ourselves that we're now the guardians of downtown Tucson and the guardians of the gospel and all these things. And hear me, theology is important, right? We need to, we need to dig into this, right? We need to, to rightly, rightly discern right from wrong and we need to call out sin as sin. But too often we, we, we disguise that because we, we make it about us and it's not. And did the disciples get it? No. Lastly, we see that God is giving faith to many, and yet Jesus' disciples are offended by that. What what, what happens is they they continue on, and all of a sudden, one of of, uh, Jesus' closest followers, John, picking up with me in verse 38, he says this, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And again, Jesus says to him, don't stop him. But I hope, I think, and and definitely the language here used is Jesus is like, they're not following who? Right? His disciples are like, these these guys are casting out demons. That's a good thing, right? We just saw demon possession is really ugly and bad. And Jesus' disciples are like, they're not following us. They should have said they're not following you. Or they should have said, are they following you? We don't know. You're the king, but they don't. They're, John is like, um, and I, maybe Peter's like, I've been taking one for the team here throughout Mark. I look like an idiot all throughout Mark. John, who's not so like that, John always calls himself the beloved disciple or the one that Jesus loved in the, in the gospel according to John. That's how John usually refers to himself. And so maybe Peter's like, dude, John wasn't all good. Let's be clear. But either way, he kind of throws John under the bus here a little bit. But Jesus is again exposing, guys, this thing, this Christianity, this kingdom of heaven is so much bigger than we make it. We make it about us. And Jesus rightly makes it about him. Remember, in the very beginning, where where did we get into this mess to begin with? By saying, thanks but no thanks, God. We don't want to live individually and corporately As your image bearers, we want to make it about us. And Jesus says that's not good. And he comes and lays down his life to restore us to living individually and corporately, exalting the king, the real king, looking to Jesus. And so Jesus says, don't don't stop these people. If they're not for us, they're against us. But if they're not against us, then... They're for us. And he reminds them of this. And and he reveals that that the king 
is giving faith to many. And this is a message, right, that the kingdom of heaven is here. This is not just for these 12. This is not just for Israel. This is not just for the Jewish people. No, this is a world movement. The kingdom is coming, and it's much bigger than we think. And again, just for one more kind of check ourselves moment. As we talked about, guys, let me say this. Whatever it is, let's all think inward here. Whatever it is that that sets you apart, whatever it is that you use to look down your nose and say, they don't get it. They're not a part of the club. My theology is this, and they don't have that theology, so they're wrong. I'm a a representative of Jesus, and I'm up here on my throne to identify who's with us and who's not. Again, hear me. That is really important. It's really important. I was in a meeting this week, and I'm having follow-up conversations about some things with other pastors where theologies and different things were applied and assumed and used, and I just want to say, whoa, 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 let's kind of slow down, all right? Let's turn to Scripture together, but... It's such a fine line. I could come with a posture of, I've got it all figured out, guys. Gather around. You're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. You, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Well, and that's what his disciples are doing. That takes the, the, the gaze away from Jesus. And Jesus rightly says, no, no, no. It's not about you. So let us be warned of our, of our arrogance, whatever it might look like. And we can get creative with it, right? We get really creative with what sets us apart, all right? Really, I can sometimes use things that are bad things. I could be like, I came from a really broken home, or I came from this, or I came from that. So all of you, you don't get it. I do. What, we could, I mean, we could do whatever we want with it, okay? Rich, poor, you know, clean cut, disheveled, whatever. Whatever it is, we build it up and we think, ah, oh, that's the one. Way. No, no, no. The kingdom of Jesus is so much bigger. So faith is looking to Jesus. Let's end by coming back back around full circle. Jesus doesn't just get you started. He doesn't give you a system. His disciples had once cast out demons and then they weren't ever able to again. Okay, the gospel, the good news is not just the beginning. You don't just, it's not like God just kind of winds you up like a little wind-up toy and then sends you along and now you've got to figure it out on your own and now you're in control and you're driving and you got going because you have faith and you just need to muster up that faith. No. Faith is looking to Jesus. Faith is recognizing, like in verse 24, the Father, desperate, recognizing that He has gone from blindness to blurriness. And that only Jesus can bring clarity. And He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Faith is looking to Jesus and trusting Him. And as we close, I just want to, all of us, consider right now that as we prepare to respond, as we prepare to respond in singing and in giving and in prayer and in taking communion, where are you right now? Perhaps you're not a Christian. Perhaps you, um, I have members of my own family who say, I want to believe, right? Even that's a big step, but I just can't. I'm too scientifically minded, or I've got this, or this happened in my childhood. I I don't think I can do it. Hey, look look to this Father. It's okay to say, help me believe. I I recognize I don't believe right now, but, but I'd love to. 
I see these people. I see the joy. I see this. I think it's fake, but I don't know. If it's real, God, give me faith. Take me from blindness to blurriness. Give me clarity. Or perhaps you are a Christian. I don't know what your journey has looked like, but perhaps you have been slugging it out, following Jesus for years. And maybe you feel ashamed that you're like, just have more faith. And you hear someone who's like, oh, let's just, just have some faith. And you're like, I kind of want to punch you for saying that. Sorry, another fighting illustration. You're like, I, I, I don't get it. I'm trying to have faith. Well, hear it. Not from me, but from the word of God. Faith is looking to Jesus. Faith is asking for greater faith. So as we respond right now, all of us, let us individually and corporately Look to Jesus, recognizing, I believe, but I need you to help me understand more clearly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Again, uh, Father, we come humbly before you. Um, We recognize uh, no one here can stand before you and say, I've got it all. I've got the system. I've got the magic formula. No one can do that. I can say that emphatically because that's not the way you designed it to be. You designed us as creatures. The Creator made us to be dependent upon Him. But Lord, we confess that is not our natural disposition. The way we relate with one another, the way we talk, the way we come, we've got something to prove. We need to impress people. We need to decide who's in and who's out. We, we tend to hijack your kingdom. But Lord, we come together now as your people recognizing you're the king. You have given us clarity. You're giving us more clarity. So now, Lord, I don't know what people need in this moment, but I pray, God the Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us. I pray that if there are those who have never believed, perhaps even now you are, you are giving sight to where there has been blindness. You're giving hope to where there has been hopelessness. So we come together looking to you, responding to you, to the good news that Jesus, you are doing something and you are allowing us to understand it more and more as we go. So now we respond together in faith, asking for greater faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.